hello hello and welcome or welcome back to the live label free podcast i'm your host livia sarah an autism and eating disorder recovery coach and today i'm chatting with harriet fu aka the eating disorder therapist and host of the podcast with that same name just like me Harriet has her own lived experience of disordered eating and has gone on to turn her mess into her message as she now helps others find freedom as well. I'm so excited for you to listen to my chat with Harriet, but before we dive in, I want to share a huge announcement. Are you a parent or caregiver seeking to better support your autistic loved one struggling with an eating disorder? Well, I have some exciting news for you. Imagine this. A community where you can learn from autistic individuals with lived experience of an eating disorder and connect with other parents in the same boat as you in real time. Something I've learned through working with many parents through one-on-one coaching is that they want guidance from people with lived experience, but they also want a community of other parents that are desperate to support their autistic child through recovery from an eating disorder. So, me being the passionate problem solver I am, I figured, why not bring my own perspective of autistic-friendly eating disorder recovery together with your parental lived experience to create a program that both supports and empowers caregivers to support their autistic loved ones struggling with eating disorders. I'm thinking live group coaching calls with 24-7 access to an autistically ED-free community and tons more research, resources, and guest experts to help you understand how you can best support your autistic child to full recovery from an eating disorder. But here's the deal. I will only launch this program if there's enough genuine interest, meaning your voice matters. That being said, if you are interested in learning more about this program and potentially joining other parents just like you, please sign up for the waitlist at livelabelfree.com forward slash group. So that's livelabelfree.com forward slash group. I cannot wait to embark on this empowering journey with you and other superhero parents out there. And now let's get back to today's episode. Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast, where you'll learn to let go of limiting labels and embrace your unique brain. As my mom says so beautifully in her song, which is why on this podcast, you'll learn the scientific links between neurodiversity and eating disorders, giving you a deeper understanding of how you can face your fears and become truly free. Together, you and me, we will keep putting one foot in front of the other. Welcome, Harriet, to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. I'm really pleased to be here. Um, Yeah, really pleased to be here. Thank you. Yeah, me too. I'm just, we were, just before we started recording, I was just telling Harriet how it's always so surreal to see someone in person when you've been like in touch on social media and on email for a while, um, and how often 
even though you've never met each other, it's like almost this instant connection of knowing that you do kind of know each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really, really excited to have you here and talk about, you know, the eating disorder therapist. And as all my listeners know, I am just the biggest proponent of lived experience. So I think it's absolutely beautiful and wonderful that, you know, you've turned your lived experience into helping others um, overcome like their own struggles. So kind of with that said, can we kind of backtrack to the beginning? Um, Can you share who you are? What's your story? What kind of caused you to become the eating disorder therapist? Um, Yes, I'm Harriet Frew. I'm an eating disorder therapist. Um, I've worked in eating disorders for 20 years, which is very scary. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel quite pleased, actually. I found my purpose very young. Like, I decided in my 20s that I was going to train as a therapist. And, um, yeah, and it was from my lived experience, having suffered from bulimia nervosa in my late teens and into my 20s. And, you know, back in the day, there was just not much help available. I mean, I know we're still under-resourced, aren't we, with eating disorders? Um, You know, there's a lot more awareness now, thankfully. But back in the day, there really wasn't much help available at all. So, um, yeah, so my decision to become a therapist very much came out of my experience of struggling with bulimia. I was very much a kind of wounded healer, idealist, thinking, I want to save the world. You know, it's very much kind of how I went into it all. you know, and I think I'm really pleased with that, really, because I think it really gave me a lot of passion and inspiration and purpose and came from a very sort of heartfelt place, really, even if perhaps a little bit idealistic and, um, you know, all of that. But um, so my experience with bulimia, I mean, I was quite fortunate. My earliest sort of years of my life, I had a pretty healthy relationship with food, um, but my eating disorder developed in my teens. Um, it was quite linked to sort of stuff that was going on at home and you know sort of pressures in the family to do certain things and I was the classic eldest child um the eldest of four girls me too but of three <laughs> girls oh wow uh, yeah <laughs> oh wow that's interesting yeah so I mean I don't know if it's true for you but I definitely felt that big sense of responsibility I did a lot of caring for my younger siblings and as the eldest child as well, I came from quite a traditional family. My dad was a farmer. He really wanted me to take on the family business. And I was really, really torn, you know, because I was really the pleasing good girl who wanted to do the right thing. But I, I knew in my heart that I wanted to go to uni and form my own path and all of that. So I guess I had so much conflict around all of that because I thought I couldn't really win. You know, if I followed my own path, yeah. I was going to feel yeah. guilty. and. um you know, like I was like letting my family down, but I knew that if I stayed at home, it was going to kill me almost kind of like kill my soul almost. Right. It's like (laughs) your dream is killed. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, they're so true. Um, Yeah. So for me, like in a way, like the bulimia was very much, um, of, of course, it was about food and body image, but it was really so much more about a kind of deeper issues about feeling that I didn't have a voice. Um, I couldn't be myself. Um, you know, I couldn't give myself permission to be myself. You know, I just felt in this awful trap place and the bulimia became a way of coping with that. And it sort of started off with a strict diet. You know, I had a brief phase of being um, more in an anorexia nervosa sort of um, diagnostic phase, but I very quickly fell into bulimia. And then it sort of plagued me really for getting on for a decade. But 
thankfully, you know, I, I did come out the other side, I, I recovered, and it, it has then sort of led me to do the career that I do today. So although back in the day, I felt it was just awful, and I was sort of raging against my family and raging against life, it's actually led me to, you know, from my worst pain has come my greatest purpose. And it has given me, um, you know, a direction and purpose. And I feel very fulfilled and um, grateful in a way for the journey that I've walked today and come out the other side. So that's just a very quick overview. <laughs> yeah, I, I always I love that disclaimer of the quick overview, because whenever, you know, someone asks me my story or I'm on someone else's podcast, it's like, share who you are. And I'm like, well, I just wrote an entire book um and it's like even that you know doesn't even scratch the surface of what we went through um and I mean I, there were just like snippets of what you just shared that really resonated with me and number one is you know almost now looking back seeing at seeing it as something you can be very grateful for um and and you you also said the word permission in that you almost you didn't feel like you had permission to be yourself um and in that sense you know an eating disorder whatever diagnosis or label we choose to give it um it, it's about you know suppressing ourselves and what we know deep in our heart we want to do um and kind of as you mentioned with you kind of knowing like I want to follow my own path and then this family almost external infliction of you need to take over the business you need to do this and then I think as I think you and me and you know everyone who gets an eating disorder I think we are innately born people pleasers in a sense or we've been conditioned to be and I think that's almost where that internal conflict comes in of I want to please myself but I don't have that permission to so I need to go please other people but because of that internal conflict and like you feeling that something's wrong we turn to we turn to the eating disorder because it gives us the sense of safety and almost a false purpose when we don't trust ourselves to find that purpose um and then, yeah, kind of fast forwarding to, you know, you saying like this has helped me into the post become the person I am today and help other people become the person people they want to be. Um, I have a quote in, in my book, Rainbow Girl, that is um, used to turning every mess into a message. Um, and that's honestly, you know, exactly what you're sharing. Um, it's it's so powerful and I love it so much. Um, so, yeah, thank you kind of for sharing your background um and you did kind of touch on you know knowing in your 20s you wanted to become a therapist um so I'm curious when you decided kind of when you recovered from your eating disorder and you were like I want to help other people with this were you already training to become a therapist or was your story kind of the catalyst that prompted you to say I'm going to become a therapist that specializes in eating disorders I guess it was all a bit messy and imperfect, really. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, I, I landed in the land of recovery right. of rainbows and unicorns. Yeah. And right. then I decided, yeah, and it was it was a kind of process, I guess. Like, so I decided when I went to Australia for a year when I was 23, it was really wow. a helpful thing. Yeah, that, that's on my like, that's totally on my list. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you should definitely do it. You should definitely do it. It's um, but it was, yeah, for me, it was like having the geographical distance away from things was really, really helpful. And that's when I kind of made the decision that I wanted to kind of come back and train as a therapist. But I was still struggling with bulimia then. But my symptoms were probably not as severe as they had been earlier yeah. on. So but I think what was interesting for me is once I'd made that decision that I wanted to help other people, in a way that became 
bigger than the eating disorder. Like I, it gave me such a reason to really work on myself, you know, so I was very much the wounded healer, you know, working on myself, but, you know, having this greater purpose to be able to support others. So I guess it was a kind of gradual process. And I think the fantastic thing about therapy training is it's, it's not a quick training, is it? You know, you have to do it over several years. So by the time I'd finished my therapy training, I was fully recovered by then. You know, I mean, I was still working yeah. on some of the deeper issues of self-esteem and people pleasing and identity and all of that. But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't restricting anymore. I wasn't binging. I wasn't purging. I was in a much better, healthier place, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love, again, what you just sh- shared about, you know, that wanting to contribute and help other people became stronger than that kind of still lingering I need to engage in the eating disorder. Um, And that reminds me of something that I talk about a lot with my clients is almost this misunderstanding in recovery that, you know, recovering from an eating disorder requires you to not have any more fears, whereas it's not about not having the fears. It's about having something greater than the fears, almost like overpower them. It's when desire outweighs fear, that's when we move in the direction of the desire. Um, So again, and then, yeah, also, you you know, mentioning like, I was still kind of struggling with the deep rooted issues. I mean, we are all lifelong learners. I mean, I still have my issues every day that are not related to the eating disorder but it's interesting because sometimes when I like I'm struggling with anxiety or having like heart palpitations because I'm like "Ah, I'm overwhelmed it's in those moments that I that I realize and I'm sure you can resonate with this how far I've come in like finding coping strategies because like in those moments where I'm like super anxious I just know that like 10 years ago when I was struggling, the answer would have been, okay, I'm not going to eat now. I'm going to go for a run. Like that's how I'm going to cope with this. Whereas now I'm able to like almost take a a breath, take a moment to be like, okay, what do I actually need right now? Like what is my body telling me instead of, you know, trying to numb the pain in in something that is a false distraction, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it really makes sense, doesn't it? And it's a lifelong journey, isn't it? Of like healing back those layers of the onion, I think. You know, like we get to a level of awareness and there's always more awareness to get to, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, there's always more awareness. And I think especially when it when it comes to eating disorder treatment, um, I like I have kind of an an issue with like my okay, let me just backtrack. My my personal relationship with therapy was doing my eating disorder was incredibly traumatizing because the professionals, the people who, you know, I was being treated by did not, number one, did not have lived experience and they had just no humility for learning from me as as a patient kind of thing. And I think um, I'm, I'm autistic, right? So I don't know if you have autistic clients as well, uh, but yeah. the, the, the autism and the eating disorder, when they come together, it makes things difficult and complex and it doesn't well 100% of the time it does not match the textbook definition of this is what an eating disorder is supposed to look like and because I went undiagnosed for so many years the professor I was just written off by every therapist like you're too complex you're hopeless you're this you're that it was just all these labels and that was obviously very very discouraging to me and I was often accused of lying when I said like for example, like autistic people have really strong food preferences. For me specifically, I can't eat something if it's not like the perfect temperature. Um, yeah. And I just remember in, in treatment being like, 
can I please microwave this? Like, I'll eat it, but I, I just need to microwave it. And it would be like, that's an eating disorder behavior. You're just using this as an excuse kind of thing. And that gaslighting is just, it's so traumatizing, especially for a child. Um, and yeah, that kind of made me allergic to professionals. And in my own journey, just made me realize like, that professionals who who bring their own lived experience and have humility towards saying like, you know, I don't have awareness of this. Can you teach me? Can you help me understand so I can understand? And maybe I will never fully understand your situation, um, but I can bring curiosity and compassion to this. I think that is such an important piece that, you know, so many professionals, I feel like they almost see themselves as higher than that. Um, Again, I don't want to make assumptions because everyone's different, um, but kind of with you personally and your story, how do you believe that your lived experience actually allows you to be a better therapist and allows you to have that humility, which I mean, I just described is so important. Yeah, well, I think, I guess when you've walked a path with an eating disorder, because it's all slightly different, isn't it, for everybody, but you've been in the trenches, haven't you? And you know kind of you have an experience of what it's like so I suppose you have you really bring that kind of empathy that you're an understanding and non-judgment and I think yeah I, mean, I think it's something that is difficult to put into words sometimes because yeah. I think something that I find with my clients is that um you know I, I am able to build very strong relationships with my clients but it's not necessarily by anything I'm particularly saying sometimes I think it's a lot about just being able to kind of hold that kind of presence and sort of um that kind of container of just non-judgment and and warmth and empathy and support yes. and the fact that they know that you have been there and that yeah. you don't react with judgment to right. kind of like behaviors etc so I, I you know I, I guess it really yeah it, it, it's a bit of a kind of gift I suppose in the therapy room isn't it um you know I, th I think you always have to be careful like I'm very aware my experience is different from other people's as well and I think that's the thing I really understand as well like um every experience of an eating disorder is quite individual like yeah. there's common overlapping themes but um I guess the therapist it's so important you know like you're saying you actually weren't always kind of heard listened to people didn't really kind of perhaps meet you where you were at and really try yeah. to understand your experience have you listened to my free audio training yet if not, you have got to get your booty over to my website right now and download the audio training, Three Steps to Recovery from an Eating Disorder as an Autistic Person. If there is one question I get asked the most when it comes to autism and eating disorders, it's whether or not I believe it's harder for an autistic person to recover from an eating disorder. The fact that this is such a common question is really no surprise as autistic traits are often the root cause of the disordered eating behaviors. I believe my own eating disorder was simply a manifestation of my autism. Obsessive interests, the need for predictability and routine, difficulty with change, being sensitive. As soon as you mix food and exercise into this autistic assemblage of traits, it's literally a recipe for an eating disorder. So then how does an autistic individual approach recovery from an eating disorder? Well, that is exactly what you will learn in my free audio training. 
while listening, you'll be guided through three simple steps to give you the clarity and confidence you need to use your autism to your advantage in recovery. It's like having a private coaching session with me on demand. To listen to the free training, all you have to do is head over to livelabelfree.com forward slash free dash audio training and you'll be on your way to learning the skills to fully recover from an eating disorder as an autistic person. Achieving a state of full recovery from an eating disorder will be a different journey than for someone who is not autistic but that doesn't mean it has to be harder. I did it which means you can too. Now let's get back to today's episode. And and you know we know in therapy the relationship is the most important thing. It's not like how skilled you are, how technical you are, how many qualifications you have. So, you know, I guess fundamentally it all comes back to the relationship, doesn't it? And being able to build a safe, trusting, empathetic, warm relationship with a client. Oh my gosh. I think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you you just said my two favorite words. You said safe and you said trusting. And that, I mean, that is what it is all about. And just I'm just loving what you're saying so much, especially that emphasis of it's not necessarily what you're saying or doing or even the tools you're giving the person, because ultimately recovery and, you know, discovering who you are without the eating disorder, that can only come from inside the person. It can't be handed like, here's the pamphlet, how to be your own person kind of thing. Like, how ironic is that? And I think traditional treatment does try to do that of, here's a picture of what recovery is. If you fit in that box, you're all good to go. It's like, that's kind of the opposite approach that is actually helpful. Um, and and yeah, I mean, there's, you know, the biggest question in the eating disorder space is like, what is the best treatment for anorexia or for bulimia? What is the best treatment? Um, but I, I don't believe that any treatment works. I think it's all about creating an environment that is safe enough for the individual to do the work. And that is why the trust and the safety and the warmth and the empathy and you you said that word relationship a few times, creating a relationship of co-regulation. No, I'm the therapist, I'm the professional, you're the client, you're the sick one. But two people, two hearts and souls, two living beings exchanging loving energy. I mean, when you create that almost sphere of healing energy, I mean, the only thing that can come out of that is love and when love emerges from that the individual will have no need to you know live in a state of fear because fear and love cannot coexist um so yeah i just thank you so much for emphasizing that because i think that is really the root of i think if all professionals working in the eating disorder space took that approach i mean we would go a long way (laughs) Um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. Um, so as we just touched on it, touched on a little bit, we are all, you know, lifelong learners and as, you know, providers, coaches, therapists, professionals, we're always learning from the, from the people we're working with. We're creating that relationship of co-regulation. Um, so what are some of the biggest insights? And I mean, I'm sure you've had so many in 20 freaking years. That's a long time. (laughs) Um, what are kind of some of the moments, um, that you were like, aha, like, this is so insightful to me, um, that almost you're working with your clients has given you. Oh yeah. And it's been such a big question. Cause I think again, 
it's there's not a textbook answer to that is there um I mean I think what's really profound for me you know some of the things that you're talking about are really resonating is like when someone starts to self-trust and find their voice and realize their likes and dislikes and their preferences Mm -hmm. and get back into their body and that you know sort of like being able to sort of trust like whether something feels something to step towards or you know not I mean I think that is the most rewarding process when you see someone become their more most authentic person and I guess there are numerous ways that someone can get to that can't they I mean I'm just thinking of a a client that um, I worked with years ago when I was very very early on in my training and, um, you know, at the time, she probably didn't make masses of progress. You know, it wasn't it just wasn't the right time for her. But mm-hmm. she contacted me um, about 10 years later and she was living in Australia and um, Australia. <laughs> yeah, Australia yeah. again. And she'd really got into yoga. And, you know, I think I felt looking back like a lot of this sort of I'd sown a lot of seeds with her really and helped her to feel very seen and understood. And then she'd kind of gone on her own journey, really, not so much down the therapy route but getting back into her body doing yoga she'd been in, in a healthy relationship um you know so so that that's an example I guess so you know sometimes I feel like I'm I'm part of the journey but actually you know someone is on their own journey aren't they and, and it can be it's not always conventional therapy that's going to be the thing for someone yeah. it can be all kinds of things and I think sometimes it's about you know can we put but people have their breakthrough more when we've been talking about the past and they really kind of understand in a way perhaps how they can start to reparent themselves and offer themselves compassion and kindness. I think when people can really get their head around that, that can be a real turning point. But that sounds very simple, but that's really quite hard to do, you know, if that's a very sort of um unusual way of parenting yourself almost. Yeah. Um and sometimes it can just be even the things like doing more regular eating and suddenly feeling just so much more clarity, having more energy, feeling much more present. And that can be a springboard for things. So I guess it's, it can come from so many different ways, I guess. Yeah. I love that idea of planting the seeds and like the fact that she contacted you 10 years later. I mean, that is, that is so, so beautiful because that just is such a clear illustration that you did have an impact. You did provide that trust and safety and that empathy um, that, you know, propelled her forward in trusting herself and feeling more safe to go on her journey or to continue her journey. Um, and it's it's almost reminding me of one of my clients, actually my very first client. I did not yet know I was autistic when I started my eating disorder coaching. And my it was through my very first client who was autistic that almost planted the seed in me of am I autistic? And kind of that, I mean, I'm so grateful to her. And, you know, that propelled me in my journey of niching down on bridging that gap between autism and eating disorders. And it's crazy because now, you know, three, four years later, she she has told me like, your content focusing on autism and eating disorders specifically now has just helped me even more in my journey. And I think, that that's why I love again that word co-regulation and creating that uh symbiotic energy between two people is like we are helping each other you know we as coaches and therapists and providers we're not just helping our clients or our patients or whatever but they're helping us understand ourselves better too and they, they give us insights to help other people too like it's constantly paying it forward and I think you know that that is the beauty of this work is that 
it isn't a one-way street. It's a, it's a like I said, it's symbiosis, and I think that that symbiotic relationship is just the core of life and creating a life that we love is having people around us that we can exchange um knowledge with and understanding with and, and empathy with because we are tribal beings we do need each other even though i used to think for so many years when i was in my eating disorder like i don't need anyone like i'm good here i can be all by myself i can live alone blah 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 but now especially with running my own business and you know working from home and not going to the office and seeing people i am realizing that importance of having of connecting with people who you know share the same passions have similar stories and that's why I'm so grateful to be talking to you today too um because I just feel my energy like going up from this so thanks again um you have your own podcast the eating disorder recovery podcast um how has connecting with other people because I kind of just touched on how that connection is so important how has for you you know connecting with other coaches and professionals and specialists and people who kind of do similar work to you and me how has um how has that impacted um your practice and and your approach to, to helping people well I guess there's just always new learning isn't there I mean I just feel very privileged really to have had so many conversations with many 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 people who have walked different paths so I guess you know you always learn something new from everyone don't you yeah. you really do um and and just appreciate the complexity and um the depth of these issues really yeah. so um yeah I mean I, I guess it's just like an ongoing journey of, of of always learning more and you know I've had so many different kinds of people on my podcast as well so um I think that's particularly what really stands out for me is um understanding perhaps more about the kind of um male lived experience of an eating disorder mm-hmm. you know that that's something that I was probably um less in in tune with um you know just a- appreciating as well just kind of like um you know I guess you know I, I was I live in the UK um I've most of my career has been in a kind of um treating kind of younger women kind of white women as well yeah. so you know you're kind of a bit more limited aren't you in Very terms of like type yeah very stereotypical yeah definitely um so yeah I feel like I'm always learning and yeah. um I guess many it's interesting you're talking about eating disorders and autism several of my clients actually have autism um and actually they're, they're some of my favorite clients to be honest with you mine too <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's be so again you know that's not so much the podcast but um but yeah I mean I just feel like I'm always learning from the podcast and I feel like um I feel like I'm just this channel for the podcast, really, because I think I have so many people that come on who have incredible knowledge, incredible stories. And I just feel like I'm the kind of lucky person, really, that gets to ask the questions. And I'm a bit in awe of that, really, because I just feel like, you know, it's kind of this thing that runs itself, the podcast. I feel like I'm the sort of channel for it. But, um, you know, people approach me. it, it, It kind of runs itself. And I'm very grateful to be sort of like, kind of at the steering wheel of it but also not (laughs) yeah no I I resonate a lot with that of like it it kind of runs itself and you know for me like most of the people that ultimately reach out to me like want to work with me it's it's usually like I've listened to your podcast and I feel so seen I feel so heard and I feel so understood and I think I that's why I started a podcast and I love podcasts so much is because when you are listening to someone's voice you know not for like one or two minutes but usually for like 30 minutes 45 minutes an hour like you are 
almost already building that relationship with that person, even though it may seem one-sided. I think that's kind of why I love, you know, when people reach out to me after listening to the podcast, because it's almost bringing that relationship full circle of like, I talked to them and now they're talking to me. And then when we meet on Zoom or in person or whatever, it's like now we're like together. And it's just, yeah, it's like it, it runs itself because like a circle, like it never ends. It's it's infinite. Um, And infinity is actually one of the symbols of autism. So anyways, I always love when things make sense like that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But yeah, thanks for sharing that. And yeah, with, with the males and I, in my own coaching, I've also learned a lot, especially in niching on niching down on autism and neurodiversity and eating disorders is also the prevalence of, you know, members of the LGBTQIA plus community and like how common eating disorders is in that community when there's, it's like almost just like triangle of like neurodiversity, um, eating disorders and like being like LGBTQIA plus <laughs> Make, need to make sure I say it right like mm -hmm. it is so incredibly common and and yeah the males in there too and I think with you know all the research on eating disorders it's it would really we need more people from all communities being represented in this in these studies because if you dive into the studies it's it's usually 99.9 percent .9 of the time it's based on stereotypical thin white women who have access to eating disorder treatment you know and have a diagnosis of anorexia nervosa um that's like and and then they draw these statistics but i'm like how can you properly draw statistics if you're only studying a group of people that makes up a minority of the population it's just yeah i mean that yeah. really grinds my gears but that's a totally different topic. Um, so kind of last question before we wrap up, what are your top three skills or tips that you use in the therapy room that, you know, some of our listeners could maybe be like, oh, that's interesting. I've never tried that before. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, interesting. I mean, I think fundamentally, it's not really a skill, but it, I think building relationships with people is like you know top top skill really because if, if you don't if you can't do that you can't really get beyond um mm -hmm. the first base can you really yeah. so I think that you know that's definitely my number one really I think being able to kind of provide a safe space for people um what else do I like doing I mean, there's so many different things I guess I mean I think what I like really doing as well is helping people understand their past and understand kind of piece together the pieces of the jigsaw really so they can like make sense of their eating disorder because I think often people come into the therapy room and they just are so confused about why am I doing what I'm doing so I really love kind of working with someone to help mm. them make sense of their story and I think even if they're not ready then for change at that point I think again it's sometimes sowing seeds and sometimes someone has to just get that awareness first and almost like make sense of that process that come to terms with that a bit before they're ready for active change mm -hmm. um so I think that's a really important part and um and then I think my third thing as well is just I really love working well I have a love-hate relationship with it I think but with eating disorders there's always ambivalence around change isn't yeah. there you know because it, an eating disorder is a coping strategy but I really like being able to support clients around their ambivalence and to help them really understand how an eating disorder is serving them because mm -hmm. I think they've often you know experiencing everyone in the world trying to help them change like pushing them to change and that's not really going to work is it? it until you understand your eating disorder as a way of coping yeah it's very hard to change so I think that's the third thing really working with the ambivalence and, and supporting people to 
feel more motivated, I suppose, and, and to tap into their dreams and, and, and what's really important to them. Right. Yeah. And, and that now we're coming full circle again. It's like your dreams and your desire has to outweigh the fear. Like that's the moment your motivation, which means having a reason to reason for changing. That's when you have a strong enough reason to actually change. Um, And I also loved that you kind of touched on um exploring what purpose does the eating disorder serve? Because um, I think a lot of the time, like for me, at least in therapy, it was only focusing on the eating disorder is bad, bad. We need to get it out of your life. But without ever giving space or acknowledging like, well, what if I'm perceiving this eating disorder as a good thing? What if I'm perceiving it as the only thing that I feel can give me safety? I mean, if you do not hold space for that internalized belief, like we were never going to invite curiosity to, oh, maybe there is another way, right? If we're only focusing on how to get rid of it, um, because in the end, like, we need to know kind of or have some kind of idea of what we do want to actually, again, have that dream outweigh the fear. But if we're only focusing on the fear, we stay stuck in the fear because where your attention goes, energy flows. So anyways, <laughs> kind of long story short, yeah, I, I think to summarize, you just all that energy and and creating that relationship that you started off with, creating love, creating space, opening the floor to curiosity, no judgment. Um, those are for me to my pillows, you know, to, to helping someone. Um, so yeah, thank you again so much, Harriet, for coming on the podcast. Um, and I'm excited to come on your podcast in a bit too. So we can, you know, bring autism to the conversation as well because as we've touched Definitely. on a few times it's it's so so important um so with that all being said can you share with our listeners if they want to get in touch with you if they want to learn more um where can they find you how can they get in touch to work with you or whatever just shoot out all your handles <laughs> <laughs> sure so i'm mainly active on instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore my website is theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk and my podcast is The Eating Disorder Therapist. So I'm fairly okay. easy to find, actually, because Harriet Frew is an unusual name. So if you just yeah. put me into Google, you will get me coming up. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, it is it is an unusual name, but that's why I think I like it, because it's unique. Um, yeah, because my name is Livia and everyone almost always asks me, oh, is that short for Olivia? But I'm like, no, it's just Livia. Um, so yeah, thanks again, Harriet, so much for coming on. I will also leave all your handles and links and etc. in the show notes. So if anyone wants to save themselves time, just click the links there. Um, and thank you again, Harriet. I've said that a million times. Thank you everyone for listening, and I will chat with you all in the next episode. Bye-bye for now. One foot in front of the other, and you'll see. This podcast has been recorded by your host, Liv. This podcast has been edited by my small but mighty Liv Label Free team. And the beautiful song, One Foot in Front of the Other, that you are now listening to was written and recorded by my beautiful mom, Louise Alexandra. I am so grateful for my team and everyone who supports Live Label Free. Together, we are always stronger.